Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigma, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So today I have my new friend, Diana Ostrike here with me. She's the author of Waging Peace. Diana, if you would please introduce yourself to anybody that doesn't already know how awesome you are. I am super happy to get to be here. I am a huge fan of you, Tasha. So I'm just really, really happy we get to be here today. I live in Minnesota and I know that you introduced me as an author, but I think more than anything, I am a peacemaker. And I think that war is the place that shaped me. And I believe that we are made to instigate joy and commit acts of courage because justice just can't wait. And I have two boys and one of them um, is a beautiful black boy and I'm raising him to know his worth. And my other son is white and I'm raising him to work for justice. And I also live on some of the most beautiful Ojibwe land you will ever see. Um, It's along the shores of Lake Superior and it is unceded land. And it's currently where the water protectors are. If you have been following along about the line three um, and about uh, the protests there and about trying to stop that and protect the water, that is actually right where I am. Awesome. Awesome. So, and thank you for that. Um, I'm a fan of yours as well. Um, And meeting you, it was just, I felt like it was just divine intervention because our mutual friend, Andrea of Her Story Speaks podcast had recommended your book. And I was like, she was like, yeah, yeah, Diana was in the military and, and you were in the military and 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 you you should talk to her. You should have her on your podcast. And just saying that, I was like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think so. And so I kind of already had this, 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 I don't know if it's a prejudice or or whatever, but uh or or this bias, but her her saying note that that you were in the military I was like I, I'm not that kind of a military <laughs> this kind of military person and but she kept mentioning your name she kept saying I really think you should read the book do you want me to send you my copy do you I'll I'll send you my you have to read her book and I was like okay so then I reached out to you and of course she sent me a a fine copy and and um And then I just couldn't put it down. It was just, it spoke to me in so many ways. Mm. And and I want this this book to be in the hands of of so many people, more so for a lot of women, though, um, that I know have felt the same way that I feel. I think that we should just tell your listeners the best part about the first time that we met yes the first time we met we were doing a little zoom call get to know you and i remember you saying diana i just gotta tell you i'm just kind of done with white women 
And I remember saying, Tasha, I hear you. And I'm a white woman, but I'm kind of done with white women. I do not want any more white woman friends. (laughs) And I do not blame you that you don't want any. I don't want any. I remember Uh you telling me about your friend with Andrea and it just kind of made me cry because I didn't really believe that that was possible. And I didn't even believe it could be good for anyone. Um, So seeing your friendship with her was like, a rainbow and a pot of gold and I was like I don't even think that's real or good or in the world and you're like no no it's real and I was like I don't know Tasha (laughs) you kind of had to like convince me with your stories (laughs) it was real and good yes so so I think you you were somebody that I needed to meet and know that there was good in the world still oh that means Um, a lot to me yeah yeah. So I want you to listeners to know that you are kind of a miracle mm. and I needed to hear that and feel that and see that in a time when I was not seeing a lot of hopeful things for my son, for my family, for myself, I was kind of ready to like throw in the mother effing towel yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you can say all the words on here. Oh, I, I can? say all the words. You can, can say, say all the words. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you can you. say motherfucking. <laughs> we were in the military. I mean, I feel like I had to clean it up for my kids, but they know who yeah. can swear in my house the best mm-hmm. and it's me <laughs> yeah same same yeah you can say all the words here uh I was completely done with white women and by extension obviously I have no dealings with white men at all and then Andrea she just my heart you know and so meeting her because I had just told God I just want people in my life who are real and who know how to love and love for real, just really dope people because I'm out here on an island. I'm in the wilderness and I just want to meet good people. That's, that's not a, that's not an outlandish request. Right. And she kept mentioning your name and I'm like, I don't know, but now I feel like we are forming the heart connection is already there. There's a tethering that's already happened. And so getting to know you and and I'll be getting to, we'll be getting to know each other a lot more, you know, in the near future. Right. And so I feel like that this relationship with you um, it's new, but it's, but it's God breathed. Cause there's this thing that when you know that you are in the wilderness and you know that you have left the ship, the ship where you know that everybody knows how it's all supposed to go and where you belong and you voluntarily leave the ship and you know that everybody hates you because we hate people who are not in our ship. Um, When you find somebody who's willing to be out in the wilderness with you and who knows the cost and the price and that is not safe, then you have a sister to the end. That's it. You have a sister to the end. And so um, I think first time I met you and we both knew, oh yeah, mm-hmm. if we're out mm-hmm. here, <laughs> it yeah. means that we braved the cost and that we will have each other's back. Yeah. Um, because we know why we're here. I read this book and I read it in record time, your book, Waging Peace. You all, I'll have the, the links provided in, in the show notes, obviously, and reach out to Diana and get a signed copy though. 
and this book, I just believe it just needs to be in the hands of so many. What resonated with me is that I had always been against the military industrial complex. I had always been against this, um, I guess the only thing that I can, that I can define it as is, is like this, this fear factor, this, this, Mm. if we put enough, instill enough fear in you of other, then that'll make you hate them. That's so good. That'll make you want to harm them. That'll make you justify any action that we take against anything that we name as other. And for us, that other is people in the Middle East. So, but we have to make you fear them first. And then we have to instill not just patriotism, but nationalism in you and make you believe that it's always America first. And so reading your book and you named it, you the fact that you named this thing, I remember being in the Air Force and saying to just a few people, conscientious objector I'm a I I am that's what I am where do I need to write like I don't believe it (laughs) I don't I don't support this I don't I know I'm wearing the uniform and I spent 10 years in the air force but I don't want to hurt anybody and I don't want to support hurting anybody and not only did you name that and I'm going to pause for a minute and let you respond to all of that but you named sexual assault and you named homophobia and you named racism. And we don't do enough of that. We know that these things happen in the military, but not many people are openly talking about the culture that exists and the harm that's done because of it. And I will also say, having spent eight years investigating in my job in the Air Force, investigating every active duty suicide or attempted suicide, I understand the cost from a different perspective. But we don't often talk about the real cost of military culture, some of the ugliness that that exists. Is that making any sense to you? So that's why I love the book. I I love that you named that. And I think that military suicide gets thrown around for fundraising and in support of nationalism, but it doesn't get thrown around when we talk about responsibility to our troops. Yeah. So for eight years, I worked for the Air Force and my job was by name, it was called a patient safety program manager or, or patient safety director. So there were two things that I was responsible for. One, getting together a team to look into every suicide, doing a root cause analysis, briefing commanders on what was the reason that this active duty member did this, reviewing medical records, speaking to people involved, people that the person worked with, all of these different things, looking at their mental health records, all of that. And the other job was looking at medical errors that happened in the Air Force. So wrong site surgeries, misdiagnosis, any kind of adverse event where something happened medically that should not have taken place and was preventable. Both of those things are not, they they don't, they're not, 
exposed to the public. They're not letting that information out, but they're happening on a daily basis. Attempted suicide or why they kill themselves. And so I would often say, well, what was happening at work? What was happening for this young female officer? What was happening to that young airman, that young enlisted member? And then we didn't talk about the, the bullying that takes place in work environments. We didn't talk about the threats, the intimidation that happens um, and, and how it's typically not one person. It's a whole chain of command. It's, it's, it's a unit, a squadron. It's, you know, it, it depends on what service you're in, but, but so there's different terms, but it's typically not one person. It's not an isolated incident. It's, it's the like, playground. Oh, it's the playground. Yeah, and it, right. Like it. But when you were the, the military, from my experience of being active duty, being a military spouse, working as a contractor for, you know, 20 years in this, in this military environment, there's a culture and, and that culture, there's some ugliness that exists how they'll remove you from a position. They'll, they'll take away, you know, if you're a supervisor, they'll take away your rights. <laughs> they, they, they'll talk to people and, and, and make other people suspicious of you. And there's all of the, this ugliness that exists. And, and here's what happens. And I'll, and I'll be quick, Diana, cause I want to go back to you, but here, here's what I've noticed or, or what I, what I have spoken about before is if the military is your family, because they brand themselves as a family, right? We're your family, but why is my family abusing me? Why am I afraid of my family? Why am I not comfortable with my family? And when you also don't have a family of origin, mm-hmm. well, what choice do I have? I want to exit. I want, I want an exit out of the pain. And the only exit is to kill myself. So that's, that's part of it. So I wanted to talk about one of the, the things that you said. If an enemy, and I'm going to read straight from the book because it was just so good. In talking about sexual assault, for instance, which is, again, something that is not as seriously, um, it, 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 it's not taken as seriously as it should be in the military. So in relating, you know, just talking about all the things, the ugliness that exists, You said, if an enemy soldier raped an American soldier, the order would be to shoot first and ask questions later. But when I heard the announcement that a female soldier in our tent city who had been jogging in broad daylight was raped by a soldier, the order was not to shoot or bring our weapons with us to jog. The order was to run in pairs. Can you speak to to, to that a little bit more? I mean, in one way, I just want the silence to sit or even for you to repeat it, because I think that people need, need to know that. And I think you and I can feel that in our bones because the value of that and the way that female soldiers are property and Mm -hmm. second class, like Mm -hmm. one soldier gets to be an American hero and one gets to be used. Like you pay a second price to, to, to die for your country as a female soldier. And I'm also, I've worked as a forensic, sec, a forensic sexual assault nurse. So mm-hmm. I'm trained to handle sexual assault. And yet yeah. that like what, what you had talked about, 
I mean, it might have been before we started recording, mm-hmm. but um, when you see another group as an enemy, mm-hmm. anything they do is worth killing them over. Mm-hmm. And then when it's your people, whatever they do, even if it's wrong, you kind of give them a pass. Right. So why in the world is if if an enemy mm-hmm. would rape an American mm-hmm. soldier shoot to kill mm-hmm. or less they could do a lot less mm-hmm. and it'd be shoot to kill yeah but if it's an american soldier raping a fellow american soldier well you know just uh run in pairs ladies and right that's how it was right and you couldn't you know like you you take it on the chin but you know your value and you know mm-hmm. your worth mm-hmm. and that sinks in to the reality mm-hmm. that you're worth less Right. And, and you're there to be used. Right. I, I remember when I, and I, I work with veterans in a different capacity as a therapist now, but, but here's also why your book spoke to me, because when I think of, of just women or, or people who identify as, as femme, when I think of just that population, I don't know of a woman who has not experienced sexism, racism, bullying, intimidation of some kind, if they're honest. Now there is a, a, a there is a group of, of of white women that I would say probably would say, well, I know I you know I've never experienced that, but because patriarchy exists, what I would often see are women trying so hard to be accepted. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's, and then there's that whole thing of like, well, can't beat them, join them. So right. Laugh at the joke and do the thing. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think there's also just throwing this out there. There's a reason why probably most Americans recognize the name of Jamal Khashoggi, mm-hmm. the reporter who was hacked up in little pieces by mm-hmm. the Saudi government but they might not know the name of private Vanessa Gilliam, who mm. was a soldier, an American soldier who was also chopped up and killed because she was an American soldier who was killed by an American soldier. Mm. So one was a male who made the headlines because a Saudi American, a Saudi had killed him, but one didn't make the headlines because it was an American soldier who killed a female American soldier. Mm. Somehow one made the, you know, like one made the national consciousness because an enemy had killed Mm -hmm. somebody and then the other one did not. And I think that um, as a female soldier, we're caught as a female veteran, you're caught in this whole um, narrative that, you Mm -hmm. know, you're second class. And yet on all the big days, you have to act like you're part of something that you're not, but you're Mm -hmm. forced to wave your flag because, you know, and even in my book, like I, that is like one sentence and I didn't even scratch the surface because I knew how much that would be hard for 99%. And if I scratched even the surface, then everything I had to say, people couldn't listen to me because they would be so distracted. Well, what is she saying there? Is she trying to say that my grandpa, my daddy, my son, my this is, uh, you know, I would be tuned out 
Right. If I even alluded to more than just one fact. Right. You know, right. even though they say that over 60% of female soldiers who deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq said that they were uh, sexually assaulted by people in their chain of command. Um, and I, and I have to tell you that, um, I, I found this statistic from Al Jazeera and it is old. So I am not giving you the gold standard here, but when it comes to sexual assault, you can probably yeah. triple whatever you can even say because people will not report it. Right. Um, but generally speaking, they said that's over 60% of female soldiers who deployed to our, to serve in, in Iraq and Afghanistan said that they were sexually assaulted by people in their chain of command. Yes. And and as I always say with statistics, that's only what is reported. Hundreds, if not thousands of reports, I, I'm pretty sure it's in the thousands, go unreported because of the fear, right? Of some kind of retaliation, right? And so, um, and, and, you know, there's, there's all types of ways that in the military, people will retaliate. Yeah. And you never want your name on paper. Right. Like you just don't because it yeah. is all retaliation and people are there to keep their jobs and it is not a safe place, especially if you are, um, if you're a woman, if you identify differently at all, if you are queer, if you, it just anything that makes you any different, like, you know, it's the playground yeah. all over again. Don't be too big, too short, too, don't have a big, like anything that puts you any differently. Um, and it goes for both genders too. Yeah. You know, the hazing is hard for anybody who is not exactly the five, eight winning at everything. Yeah. There was another part of your book and you write, my church taught me the 10 commandments, but they didn't teach me what do not kill means in the middle of a war zone. And I read that and I said, oh my God, I, because I remembered, Diana, I remembered thinking, okay, God is saying, do not kill. And, and that do not kill isn't like, except for if you need if you need um, resources, land, <laughs> if you or need land. more stuff, or new country, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 there's no exclusions behind that. Like it just says, do not kill. And so when you when you're in the military, and you know they're saying, you know, okay, you're serving your country. And I'm trying to reconcile the two. I'm okay with the serving my country part, but also I don't want to hurt another human. I do not, at my core, I never want to kill another person. But if you're serving, you've got to be okay with that. Either the killing or the supporting the killing. You have to be okay with that. Or else, maybe, you know, the military is just not right for you. That's a whole other topic, right? Right. But that resonated with me so deeply about, you know, the church. And obviously, you know, the Ten Commandments. 
but then the part about what does that mean in the middle of a war zone? Can you speak to that a little more? Yeah. And I do think for, for the majority of the country, I'm not sure about the majority of your listeners, but mm-hmm. I do think for the majority of the country may have grown up like I did. <clears throat> and it's pretty much, you know, like I grew up rural, small town, God, guns and country, small Baptist church. And I think that I didn't really know anybody who told me that I could serve God and not kill for my country. Like it wasn't really an option. I literally didn't know that there was another invitation to do it differently. And so that gives me a great hope for people and for our country today. Like people who are saying things and living a certain way, I look at them and I think maybe they were me when they were 23. Maybe they're not making this choice because they've been given two options. They're making this choice because everybody who raised them and who they know has only given them one option. They, they are waiting for somebody to give them a way better invitation to love God and to love people and to live a better life. And that, that invitation for me was in the middle of war, a little Iraqi woman invited me into her home and she acted like my life was just as important as her life and her grandkids. Like she acted like my humanity actually was as valuable as hers. And like, it disarmed me. Like I couldn't keep going the way I was like this love that she had, like changed everything about how I saw the world. Like the way that she loved me was the stuff that my little church had taught me about Jesus, like giving himself up for us on the cross while we were yet still his enemies in love. Like her love was so infectious that I decided I was like, Oh my gosh, like the way she loves is the thing that I want to do. Like I want to give my life for anybody and everybody. Cause this is the biggest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but I will never take a life mm-hmm. for anyone, not my country and not myself and not to avoid death. Like I saw everybody walking around with guns and everybody doing stuff to avoid death. And I don't want to be like either one of them on either yeah. side. They were all just doing the same damn thing. And it wasn't heroic. Yeah. And like, it was pretty piss poor, sad. And yeah. it was just scaring everybody. And I didn't see anybody who was heroic except for her. And she had this yeah. twinkle in her eye and she was badass. And she hugged me like she loved me and it disarmed me. And I laid down my weapon in the sand. And I think that I am fully alive today because of her love. And my sons have a fully alive mom instead of like a bitter enemy hating war hungry mom and like Mm. if there's ever a person on the planet that I want to say thank you to it's her and I don't Mm. know if she's alive like Mm. I don't know but that's the person that showed me that love is the biggest strongest weapon on the planet and killing is the poor man's tool it's cheap it's short-lived it cannot give us what love can Mm -hmm. give us Mm -hmm. um and that's, and, and so how did I grow up in a church that taught me do not kill, but somehow I could hear it, but we had all the exceptions. I don't even know, but I, but I have a friend and he says the best critique of something is the practice of something better. So like, that's all I really care about. I'm like, she showed me how to just live out something 
so much more alive and so much better that it just kind of like caught me mm-hmm. for doing it. And that's all I care about. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to love like it's going out of style. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to practice not killing people. I'm just going to mm-hmm. practice showing up and loving people like they actually matter and inviting yeah. people to do it. Cause I'm going to trust there's other people like me who grew up God guns in country. And it wasn't that they're like so committed to it. Nobody invited them to actually do something better with their lives. And that's what like, that's what like absolutely puts fierce kindness. In me when I look at these kids with these big ass flags at the end of their trucks, I hold in my heart that maybe they like me, somebody hasn't given them a better invitation. They haven't given them something better to do with their life. Like somebody hasn't given them this crazy, beautiful way to make a difference in the world yet. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't the best they can do. This isn't their wild, beautiful life. Like this is literally piss poor what they just haven't figured it out yet. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm holding this fierce kindness in my heart to give a better invitation. And I'm holding this like hope that they're going to, they're going to get ignited for like something that their life is going to matter and they're going to give instead of take, and they're going to build instead of break. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to be proud of themselves and they're going to have that person that gives them Mm -hmm. a better invitation. I love all of what you just said. And what it makes me think of is I guess the grandmother in the village that, that showed you that love and, and I think that you also spoke about this in your book, but but I'll just say it the way I understood it. When you're in close proximity with someone, it's really damn difficult to just hate them, right? And so you being close proximity and being able to look in her eyes and see how she cared for her children, for her grandchildren, for her family, the respect that was there in the family, yeah. How can you walk away with that? Anybody and say, yeah, that's my enemy. That's my enemy. Yeah. And and it's even here now. Like when I read the news mm-hmm. and I start to get like really judgy and I think that the good Lord like made a promise too soon about not doing the flood again, because we're never going to change. <laughs> I realize that that means that I've isolated myself too much. Mm -hmm. Like I need to get close to people again, because every Mm -hmm. time I do, when I get too judgy, too black and white, too hopeless, too despairing, it means that I have gotten too isolated from people. Mm. Every time I do get close to people again, I see that little twinkle in their eye. And even when they're wearing that stupid ass (laughs) t-shirt, I bump into them and I'm like, well, there's a human in there. I can see it. And a GD, I still kind of have hope for you. I think, (laughs) you know, like I have to get close to people and I have to like mingle because if Mm -hmm. I don't, I lose my own hope for Mm -hmm. humanity and I lose hope for me too. Like Mm -hmm. I have to be showing up with people. I have to be putting my feet in the work. Like I have Mm -hmm. to be doing the work. Otherwise I get mopey. That's it. If, if you're not doing the work, there is a tendency to just stay in our heads and to formulate these beliefs that may not really be true because we're stuck in here instead of on building relationship. Yeah. Instead of reading, instead of listening, instead of getting to know people. 
instead of serving, we're, we're stuck in our heads. So yes, to all of that. In the military, we're trained to live and die for our, our country, the U.S., and, and the mission to carry out the mission. The mission is number one, right? Today, though, what are you living and dying for? I am, I'm waging peace. Like, I learned how to wage war. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, Army basic training is total hell, mm-hmm. and it's 12 weeks, and you learn it step by step. I learned mm-hmm. how to kill. And that same way people think peace is a joke. And I'm like, it's just a lot of work and it's hard. And so I started this thing called the waging peace project. Cause I think as hard as we wage war, we got to wage peace. So yeah, it's going to be hard. And it means you got to show up. And it means that your neighborhood and my neighborhood is the classroom. It's where we Mm -hmm. show up in our neighborhoods and we don't give up and we don't Mm -hmm. get tired, take a rest. Mm -hmm but it means we got to show up. Um, So I'm living and dying for peace because I want something different for my kids and watching Afghanistan, watching Iraq, Mm -hmm. this isn't going to change unless we start waging peace. Like it is going to take us caring instead of like reading the news and being shocked that, Oh, wow. Um, I hope I'm going to get this right. But Currently in the world today, there's like 195 countries recognized today. Mm. The U.S. has soldiers and troops deployed Mm. to over 77% of the countries on the planet. Mm -hmm. That's got to change. Like if China did that, we call it world domination. Absolutely. So so we're going to have to change our priorities. We're going to have to start to invest in where we want our kids to be. And if we want them wearing boots on the ground in 77% of the countries on the planet, we're going to get more of what we're getting. Mm -hmm. If there is no change, there's no change. But I think there is going to be a change. And I think our world is worth it. And I think right now we are ready. The Mm -hmm. world is changing because it has to change. COVID has shown us we need a different education system. Our healthcare system definitely needs a boost and the Mm -hmm. world is connected. So what will we do with it? I think our kids are looking at us and I think now is the time um, that we wage peace. And I think Mm -hmm. um, on my website, if you go to like the Waging Peace Project, it says it is the best and most fun group project you'll ever be part of. And I remember that group project in eighth grade where like one person was like the note taker and one person actually knew how to do the experiment. Um, But I think everybody needs to throw in and there's a place for you. And I think this is where we stop being bench sitters. And this is where we stop waiting to elect the perfect person. Like if you look at Mm -hmm. Afghanistan, this is not one political party. It is not one president. This is America's commitment to the military industrial complex and Mm -hmm. we can take all of our money and our people and we can Mm -hmm. start to use them to build different futures Mm -hmm. for our country and for our planet and for our kids and for our old people and for our you know we can do different things so i'm Mm -hmm. living and dying for peace because Um, I think it's essential. And I think that's what we most want. We Mm -hmm. just don't think it's possible. So we keep doing the same circus, 
the same carousel ride thinking it's going to go somewhere different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we can get somewhere different. We're just going to have to get off the ride that we've gotten ourselves on. Absolutely. When you are, if, if your purpose and your goal and you, you know, is to, to wage peace and to love everyone, and, and you're living that out every day. My question for you is, what do you lose when you're waging peace and loving folks? But then also, what are you gaining? I think I lose my peace of mind. Like I lose mm-hmm. Easy Street. Easy Street mm-hmm. is um, where I just take care of myself and my kids. You know, if we're good, mm-hmm. I'm good. Mm-hmm. So I lose if I say, you know, I'm not okay until every kid in my city has dinner at night. If I'm like, oh, it's cool that my kids have dinner tonight. Good to go. But if I'm like, no, I'm not okay until every kid in my city has dinner at night. And I'm not going to quit because like mm-hmm. that's, that's joy to me. I can be happy that my kids have dinner at night, but I can't have true joy until every kid is going to eat dinner at night. So like mm-hmm. I lose, I lose the easy happy. But my joy is I'm going to work till every kid gets to eat. Um, But I think what I gain is Mm -hmm. that I really do think our lives matter. I really Mm -hmm. think our days matter. Mm -hmm. And that makes me, um, I think there's a delight in that. Mm -hmm. Knowing that if I died tomorrow, I'm really damn Mm -hmm. happy that I worked on something that mattered. Like Like if I died tomorrow, Tasha... Mm -hmm. F and happy Mm -hmm. because I know I worked on something that mattered and I'm good with that. That's what I gain. You're you're such a beautiful person. I just love you. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this wasn't a question that I discussed, but I, it's important and it's, it's just coming up for me. Watching the news, we we saw the images of the people handing their children, handing their babies to the soldiers and how, what a terrifying experience that must be for all of them, for all involved, right? And so given your experience in the military and how traumatizing all of this is, what would you want people who live in the Middle East to know if they're listening to this podcast, if somebody is just listening, just tuning in, what would you want them to hear I'm or sorry. to know? Yeah, I'm sorry, and I don't think it had to be this way. Like they mm-hmm. deserve better. Like I'm sorry, and we should have done better mm-hmm. by their children mm-hmm. and their future, because Iraq is still waiting for their future. Right. Yeah. That we promised them. Yeah. I, I want to add to that. That is so beautiful. The, the, I'm sorry. I think it's, it has to start there. Right. And I also want to say to anyone in the middle East and that the way that I understand God is that, that God's love is for all no exceptions. I don't need you to live in the United States in order to love you. I want to say to anyone listening that I love you. 
the point of waging peace is to just say that we recognized early, even in our military career, that love was the most important and it wasn't country and it wasn't guns and it wasn't family and it wasn't mission. It's, I love you. I love That's it. you. And, and there's a period there. I love you. And, and we don't care <laughs> what religion you are. We don't care about your gender, your sexuality, any of that. It's all love. It's love. And I, I want to say too, to anyone in the military and mm-hmm. to those who have lost those family members or those soldiers who died and to um, those who lost battle buddies and to those who lost parents or children, yeah. I'm sorry. And I love you. And we'll be here for you right. for the years as you, as you grieve. I That's love it. you. And sorry. That's it. That's it. It's all love. It's love. Diana, for anyone who is wanting to know more, I, I think you mentioned your website before. You, you Well, you mentioned the Waging Peace Project, but could you share with listeners where they can find you on social media, where they can purchase a copy of your book? Yes. So it is super helpful. Um, just as a, as a new author and as someone who is trying to get love out there and peace, it is not as popular as war. So if you follow me, it really does open doors. Um, so Diana Ostrich at Instagram. Um, and then my website is dianaostrich.com if you jump on there. It has my book. And if you buy it from me, Tasha did it. I will Mm -hmm. sign it. I send you a sucker. I wrap it in a bow and I send you a little postcard and just thank you because I really believe um, in relationship and it's a big deal for you to support a local author. And I count it as us getting to be in community together. So I love to wrap it up and send it to you. Yay. So I have three, three short, quick fire questions. All right. And we're done after that. So the first question is, if you're listening to music, I don't know if you're a music person, but if you want to dance or just kind of move your body a little bit, who are you listening to? Who or what kind of music are you listening to? Michael Fronte, reggae, beach music. It's total beach music. Dance Uh it up. Okay. Who or what makes you laugh? Oh my gosh. My partner, Jake, makes me laugh. Uh, in any stand-up comedy, I will watch it all night in my bed and laugh like crazy. And who inspires you? Tasha. <laughs> and I'm not even lying. Yeah. I'm not even lying. You've been a huge inspiration to me. And just having me on is a huge... When I told my kids, I'm like, they're like, who's having you on? And I like told them who you were. They're like, whoa, mm-hmm. mom, big time. Oh. And I was like, oh. she is the big time. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Diana, for being on my podcast. Um, This has been a dream for me to even be able to have this conversation that I've been holding for my whole life, probably, you know, and um, I count you as just my sister and I love you and just thank you so much. Thank you for living your life and thank you for writing your life and having this podcast and not being successful at 21. Right. Right. Mm hmm. 
for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.